What makes it hard for you and me to follow God's lead? I want to share a story with you from a friend of mine named Jim. Before my crisis hit, God was doing amazing things in our lives, and I was never closer to him. We were living in Idaho here in Boise, and some events happened that almost ended our marriage. But God stepped in and did the impossible. But that's another story. (laughs) After putting some broken pieces back together, he moved us to Washington, where I found a great job as a manager of a Christian bookstore. And he started a study program as well, studying the scriptures. After 30 years, my life finally had purpose and direction. Then God disappeared. I was diagnosed with dermatomyositis. Say that three times in a row. (laughs) Which is a rare autoimmune disease that painfully destroys your muscles. And there is no cure for it. As soon as we found out about the disease, everyone started to pray for us, but my condition became worse and worse. The pain was incredible. I lost the ability to walk, and I became dependent on a wheelchair. I did not have the strength to get out of chairs. I needed help. I would fall and not be able to get up. I would have to wait until someone picked me up. I lost my ability to speak and to swallow, which resulted in my weight going from 210 to under 140. I had to have a feeding tube put in, and I was forced to leave my job. I was scared. I felt worthless as a man, a husband, and a father. Spiritually, I was crashing hard. My faith with God went from total trust to a feeling of abandonment, then to anger. I remember lying in bed in total pain, crying. I would yell out, Where are you, God? I became angry because I knew that God could heal me. So why wasn't he doing that? As hope diminished and the pain increased, I found myself wanting to die, and I began looking for ways to end my life. What makes it hard for you and me to follow God? Sometimes it's that we aren't sure of the way that he's calling us, but... So often I think he leads us a certain way and it's hard for us. It's not our will. His will's different from ours so often and we want our will instead so often. But it's a struggle. It's hard for us to follow God's lead. It was for Israel as well. God had worked miracles. He'd done an amazing thing. They were slaves in Egypt. And God did a miracle. He redeemed them. He did use ten plagues and the killing of the firstborn. And they plundered Egypt. And they led them out. He redeemed them. He freed them. And He promised them He would take them to the promised land. But as we'll see today, He didn't lead them directly to the promised land. Instead, He led them into the wilderness. And so often when we follow God, we think, okay, God, I'm with you and we can't wait. I'm looking forward to that promised land. We're going there. I'm with you. We're going. And then he leads you into the wilderness and you go, God, what's up with this? And it makes it hard to keep following. And yet God keeps saying, 
Keep trusting me. Keep following me. So today we'll be looking at a great encouragement, I think, to keep trusting him even when the way is hard. I want to orient you to the book of Exodus. I want to show you a map here. This is a modern map, so it kind of shows modern Egypt, modern Israel, the Gaza Strip, the West Bank. Here's Lebanon up here on the border where Israel and the fighters of Hezbollah are fighting today. But it gives you a good orientation of what was going on in those days. Israel was enslaved here in northern Egypt. And they were there for 400 years. And gradually their enslavement got crueler and crueler. And they cried out to God. And God raised up Moses to begin to lead them from here toward the promised land. This was the land that had been promised to them from so long before. Remember, from way over here, God called Abraham to come to the promised land, but he was only a sojourner and his son Isaac and Isaac's son Jacob. They were just sojourners, but God kept saying, I will give you this land. Your people will live here and they'll be more numerous than the stars of the sky. So they had that promise. But as Joseph was sold into slavery to Egypt and he came over here and there was a famine and his whole family came, at first they were blessed but they became enslaved and they lived as slaves for 400 years. So the book of Exodus begins with God raising up Moses to free this enslaved people and to lead them from slavery to redemption. It's a wonderful story, a wonderful time. And he's promised to lead them into the promised land, but they've been redeemed. But notice something. To live in the promised land... They need to learn how to walk with God. You see, they've been saved, but still their orientation of life is simply as slaves. They have not learned to walk in the freedom of faith, of trusting God. And that's the same for us, right? God saves us. We put our faith in Christ and He washes away our sin. We are saved. And He says, I'm taking you to the promised land, to heaven. But then he leaves us here to walk through the wilderness. Because though we've been saved from the penalty of sin, we have not yet been saved from the power of sin. At least we haven't learned to walk in the power of Christ. So he takes us in the wilderness like he did Israel. Instead of going straight, they went in the wilderness so that they could learn to depend on him because God is creating a people who can trust Him and walk with Him. And the same thing's happening with us, folks. God's working in each of our lives and in us as a community to help us learn to trust Him, to walk together as a community who can trust Him and follow Him, to follow His lead. So we're going to look at that now in Exodus chapter 13, beginning in verse 17, as we look at how to follow our leader how to follow our leader when it's not easy. When the way, in our first section, when the way is confusing. How to follow the leader when the way is confusing. Let me read verse 17 through 19. When Pharaoh let, let the people go, and notice they're free. They're experiencing freedom. When he let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert toward the Red Sea. 
The Israelites went up out of Egypt armed for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the sons of Israel swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. So notice what it says. It says, they could have gone by the main road. It's the shortest route to the promised land over here. They're slaves here. God leads them, but he leads them down into the wilderness. He did not lead them by the main road, which was a common route. They traveled in those days along the shore of the Mediterranean Sea. And it was a place where there was plenty of food, plenty of water. It was the easiest way to go. It was the most direct way to go. And yet, it does say, we know that there were fortresses all along there, that Egypt had fortresses along that route. And so Israel would have had to fight. But notice it says they were equipped for war. And I think it must have been very confusing for Israel. Because notice, okay, God, you're taking us to the promised land. Okay, we know the road. (laughs) You go this way. It's the shortest route. It's the easiest route. And yeah, we might have to fight. But you know what? We can handle that. We're prepared. We're equipped. And besides, we're taking Joseph's coffin. We're taking his mummified body. We're on a, a godly task. We're fulfilling what he, the promise that we made to him. And we're carrying out your will, God. And so it's obvious to us the way you're going to lead us. Makes sense. Straight to the promised land. And yet God leads them instead into the wilderness where there's no highway, no roads. The source of water is not clear. In fact, it's the desert. There isn't much water. God, you're taking us the wrong way. (laughs) This does not make sense. It had to be confusing. Do you notice how often that's true for us? We get a sense of how God should lead us, right? Lord, this is the obvious way. This is the main road. This is the way straight to the promised land. I've got it all figured out, God. And, uh, you know, in fact, I'll even draw the map for you, Jesus, and show you exactly where you should lead us. And then he takes us into the wilderness and we begin to get confused and we say, Lord, what are you doing? This doesn't make sense. Like my friend Jim who gives his heart to the Lord and he's finally walking with the Lord and things are going well and suddenly gets a terrible disease and he has a choice. Am I going to follow you, God, or reject you and walk away? Because this this is confusing. It doesn't make sense. Why would God do that? Well, there's a hint in this passage because notice it says in verse 17, for God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. The truth is, see, God knows their hearts. And He knows if they take that road, that main road, that they will become afraid and they will try to run back to Egypt. He knows their hearts better than they do. He knows what's best for them better than they do. And you know what? We see in the next chapter, verse 10 of chapter 14. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? 
Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. (laughs) God knew exactly what their hearts were like and what was best for them. That they needed a time in the desert to learn to trust Him and walk with Him. You know, life is a lot like a windy road. And we can only see up to the next curve. And we think, you know, this is the best road. And and we think it's, yeah, we can't see very far ahead, but we think this must be the right way to go. And we think we've got it all planned out. But God looks down from above and He sees the whole course. And He knows our hearts. And He knows what's best for us. So when He takes us on a detour, we think, this can't be right. This can't be best for me. But we have to trust that God sees the big picture. We don't. We see through a glass darkly. We see very little of reality. We don't even know our own hearts very well. Egypt thought they could handle it. They couldn't. So a big part of following God is saying, Lord, I don't understand, but I will continue to follow you even when I don't understand. We got a hint of this, how God is working out ways and he understands the path when we don't. Just this last couple of weeks, when my second son, Jeremy, was headed to Indonesia for a year, probably two years to teach over there with Laura Armstrong at the school over there. And he was getting ready to go. We needed the visa. We had his tickets. They were leaving last Wednesday. And we were waiting for his visa. We dropped it off at the San Francisco consulate and it was planned that we, it should get there Monday or Tuesday, but we waited, no visa, no visa, no visa. It finally came Thursday night, but by that time we'd had to cancel the tickets. It meant we had to pay that much more money to reschedule. It meant that he missed the first starting of school, which meant that he had to come and begin starting as a teacher at the school several days after the course had already begun. He missed orientation, all these things. And, and we're going, God, why, why this path? Why didn't you get the visa here on time? Well, I'm sure we'll probably we'll never know the whole picture. But we did get a little hint of that because we realized if he'd left here on Wednesday and flown to San Francisco, he didn't have enough time because that's the day they arrested the terrorists in England Because of the long lines and security, he did not have enough time between flights. He would have missed that flight and been stuck in San Francisco for at least another day, maybe longer. So we realized God saw the big picture that we didn't see. You see, he sees the whole thing and we don't. So we have to trust that God sees and understands what's best for us even when we don't understand. And and not only... Does God see the picture when we, the big picture when we don't? But God has a different agenda than we do most of the time. Our plan is, I want to get to the promised land as quickly and as easily as possible. God's plan is to create a people who can trust Him, who know how to walk with Him, who know how to depend on Him. And so for these next few chapters... As we're working through Exodus, we'll see how God is working to create a people, the nation of Israel, who can trust Him. And that means they have to learn to walk in the wilderness and learn to depend on Him. 
That's God's agenda, and it's His agenda for us as well. He wants to shape our souls in a way so we are people who can trust Him and walk with Him. So He takes us into the wilderness. It's confusing. It doesn't make sense to us sometimes. But we can trust that He has a bigger plan. You see, we only know how to live as slaves. We only know how to depend on our own flesh. Like Israel, they only knew how to depend on Pharaoh, and they were ready to go back because that's what they knew. That's like us. We only know how to walk in the flesh. We only know how to depend on self. And so God's agenda is to begin to shape our souls so we can walk with Him, trust Him, and walk in the freedom of the people of God. Kathy shared her testimony last week. It was a wonderful testimony about how God worked in her life, how she was seeking to follow God, But some hard things began to happen in her life. And the way she described it, God broke her chains of dependence on her marriage, on her job, and even on her kids. And she faced great difficulty in all those areas. And here's what she said last week. She said, I didn't know I was still a slave to these things. We don't know our own hearts, but God does. And in his gentle love, he takes us into the wilderness and walks with us and begins to break those chains that are binding our soul and keeping us from experiencing the true freedom that he wants us to walk in in relationship with him. God knows our hearts, and so we are encouraged by this passage to keep following him even when the way is confusing. But we're also encouraged in the next section to keep following him when the way is clear. Let's look at 20 through 22. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, so that they could travel by day or by night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Imagine what that would be like. Everywhere you go, you see the pillar. By day, it's a big pillar of cloud. By night, it's a pillar of fire. But you always know where God's leading you. The pillar begins to move, you follow. Pillar stops, you stop and you camp and you wait. You always knew exactly what God's will was. Move now, stop now, wait a while. It's moving, move ahead. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? You'd always know God's will. No question about what God wants. No question where he's leading. And many of us, and you know myself too, there's something attractive about that. And, and sometimes we think, Lord, if you would only be that obvious in your leading of me, I'd follow you. I'd really be your man or I'd really be your woman. If you'd only make it clear what your will is, I'd do it, Lord. I'd do it. Sounds good, but it's wrong. I mean, think about Israel for a minute. They had that pillar, and they were constantly complaining, constantly rebelling, as we'll see as they walk in the wilderness. It didn't help them to have a visual sign of his presence. It didn't help them to follow him. Later, they had the tabernacle with the ark, and they had the temple, and they had these visual signs that God was present with them, and yet they still didn't follow well. 
See, the truth is about our hearts that that's not the problem that we don't know where to go. The problem is we often don't want to go where he's leading. In fact, they had the pillar, but we have the Spirit of God in us, folks, constantly leading and guiding and directing our hearts. He leads us from the inside out, and we have the Word of God. We have things that are far better than the pillar. And I think the truth is there aren't very many times where we really don't know God's will. Now, I realize there's times where all of us face where we're trying to make a decision and we think about God's leading and we think, okay, do I go to this school or that school? Do I invest in this or in that financially? Do I move here, do this? Do I leave my job and look for another job? You know, those kind of decisions. We think that's what God needs to lead me on. And, you know, my encouragement to you on those kinds of things is pray about it. Read the Word of God. Wait on Him. Seek the wisdom of other believers that you feel like know God well. Ask for their, in, their input, especially if they know you well about what's best. But if it comes right down to it and one choice is not more moral than the other or it's not clear, do what you want. Do what you want. <laughs> because the issue on those kinds of things, hey, if God hasn't made it clear, you know, I think He's fine with either choice. But in reality, most of the time, we know exactly what God's will is. We just don't want to do it. Think about it with, for, with me for a minute. We know that God's will is that we spend regular time with Him. We know that God's will is that we seek to pray without ceasing. We know that God's will is that we seek to know Jesus better. We know that God's will is that we love our neighbor, especially our enemies, those that are hard to love. We know that it's God's will that we forgive those who hurt us. We know that it's God's will that if we're a married wife, that we're to submit to our husbands, to not demand our own way, to set aside our own rights for the sake of the family and to follow our husband's lead. We know if we're a husband that God's will is that we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church, that we're to sacrifice everything for the sake of our wives to help her become more like Jesus. We know that we're to die to ourselves, that we are to never to demand our rights, that we're to turn the other cheek if someone hurts us. We know God's will. We just find it very hard to follow, don't we? Because too often his will isn't what we want to do. These are all things, and I could go on and on, but these are all things that are clearly God's will. But too often we're like Jonah. You want me to go preach to my enemies? To share the gospel with them? Forget it. (laughs) I'm going to Tarsus. I hear there's some great beaches there. I'm going to go hang out. God in his mercy had Jonah thrown into the water and swallowed by a fish and brought back because he wanted to teach him to be dependent. But see, too often we're like Jonah. We, we aren't, sometimes we aren't sure what God wants, but mostly we are sure and we just struggle to do it. Like the woman who came to me for counsel and she said, 
I'm really struggling with my husband. Um, he's got these things in his life that really bother me, and it's difficult, and I think I should divorce him. What do you think? From what I could see, she had no biblical grounds for divorce, and we talked about it, and I encouraged her that, you know, you may need to separate for a while and seek counseling and work on your marriage, but I don't see you have a right for divorce. Well, she went to several other pastors until she finally reached one who said, yeah, you have the right to divorce. And she did. Whose will did she want? (laughs) Her own. But, you know, I find that my heart's not any different so often. So often I want what I want even though God's will is clear. So the encouragement, I think, here is when you've got the pillar, when it's clear, you know God's will. Even though it's hard and you have to die to yourself, the encouragement is to just do it. To do what God says and trust that he loves you enough that it's for your good. So we're to follow God's will, follow him when it's confusing and it doesn't make sense. The wilderness? When it's really clear, but it's just hard to do. Follow him. He's a good shepherd. And we're also to follow him, as we'll see in this next passage, when it just seems downright crazy to follow him. Let's look. Chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdol and the sea there to encamp by the sea directly opposite Baal-Ziphon. Pharaoh will think, the Israelites are wandering around in the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. And I, the Lord says, will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. But I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army and the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. Now think about Israel for a minute here. For one, they're headed this way, and instead of taking the main road, they're headed down into the wilderness. That's bad enough, right? That's confusing. But now God comes to them and says, oh, by the way, you've moved away from Egypt. I want you to go back and I want, to, I want you all, two million of you helpless Jews, to back your wall, yourself up against the sea and be trapped. Now, we don't know exactly where that was, where the crossing of the Red Sea happened. It could have been somewhere along here. Some think about along a lake up here. Somewhere, some think along here. I'm kind of intrigued that it's possible, and some think it was all the way down here where they were trapped way down at the point there where they had absolutely nowhere to go. But wherever they were, they were trapped. Now think for a minute how that felt to Israel. Okay, Lord, we just finally escaped from Egypt and you want us to go back. You want to purposely harden Pharaoh's heart so he gets mad and thinks we're confused and he's going to come after us. Are you crazy, God? What are you doing here? This feels suicidal. They're going to kill us. You know, there's times for all of us when it gets like this, doesn't it? Where God's leading in a direction and you're going, God, this is crazy. This does not make any sense to me. It's not just confusing. It seems suicidal. 
God may lead you to give up everything you have to sell your home and go serve him somewhere that's really hard and difficult. God may lead you to live with a disease like my friend Jim that's a struggle and you're wondering, Lord, what are you doing? This is, feels destructive. God may lead you to, to reach out to a neighbor that you can't stand and yet to share the love of Christ and keep reaching out and keep sharing love even though you get rejected over and over and over again. God may lead you to hang in there with a difficult relationship and you keep getting hurt and it's hard and you wonder why he's calling you to do that. You see, there are times when God leads us to situations that seem crazy. I'm thinking of Several different families I know of here at Cole who left other places who sensed that God was calling and very clearly leading them to move to Boise to serve the Lord in some new ways. And they moved here and everything fell apart. They've had financial struggles. They've had other personal struggles. They've, some have experienced incredible depression in these families. And it stirs up for them this question, God, what are you doing here? And they begin to question, God, did you really lead us here? It can't be your will because things are hard. But you know what? God is in control. He loves us. He leads us where we need to get. I believe he brought these families here. And the, re- and the fact that it's hard doesn't take away from the fact that God led them here. It just means God's doing something bigger and deeper than they can see at this time. Why would God do that? Well, there's a hint in this passage. Notice again in verse 4. I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. The whole reason we're here, folks, is that God might be made known that he might be revealed in this world that desperately needs to know him. And so God puts us in situations where it feels impossible, it feels crazy, and we can do nothing but cling to him so that in the midst of that, his power, his life is revealed and God is revealed as God to the world around us. What you're going through is for you to help you learn to trust God more, but it's also for the world around you that you might be a blessing in this world. You're part of creating God's kingdom and expanding it in the world. So realize when God leads you into a situation that seems crazy, that God is working out a bigger plan and you can trust him in the midst of it. Like Joseph in the Old Testament who in Genesis who was made a slave and it had to be difficult, taken to Egypt, but God was working out a plan so he could become a blessing. Jonah, so he could become a blessing to the Ninevites who were enemies, and yet they repented when he preached the gospel. God wants to use us in mighty ways as well. So the encouragement to all of us is when the way seems crazy, realize that God is still working. He's working out a plan, and we can keep following him because he's working to make us a part of expanding his kingdom. He's making us a blessing for others. God led Egypt, or excuse me, led Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness. And he did so 
so that they could be formed as the people of God who would know how to walk with him and trust him. God leads us as individuals and as a church, folks. Some of the difficulties we face at times as a church is because God is at work shaping us into the people of God, forming us into a people that can trust him more fully, to learn how to love one another in the midst of transition and difficulty. And the worst thing we can do is say, I'm going to go back to Egypt. I'm out of here. Because then we miss out on the blessing of what God wants to do in our lives. He's leading us because it's best for us. And he's leading us because he wants us to be a blessing to the world. Let me read the end of Jim's story to you. Where we ended off, he said... As hope diminished and the pain increased, I found myself wanting to die and I began looking for ways to end my life. It goes on. Then slowly God began to soften my heart. He gave me three Bible passages which became anchors for me. Job 38 through 40. After Job seems to have exhausted his complaints about life and the unfair pain he endured, God comes to Job and gives him a grid shift and makes him remember that God is God. God sees the big picture and we do not. Another passage, Isaiah 55. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. He sees the big picture. He's at work. Second Corinthians 12.9 My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul writes, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Jim goes on. My defining moment that changed my heart was six weeks ago. The prayer team pulled us into the prayer room and started to pray for my healing. While they were praying for healing, I told Jesus, I don't understand, but I'm okay where you have me. I'm okay with my condition. I love and I trust you. Right then, a feeling of peace and love came over me. So where am I now? Spiritually, I've never been closer to the Lord. Physically, I've made minor improvements, but I still live with daily pain. I still have to have a feeding tube. I don't know if I'll ever be totally healed, Jim writes, except in heaven. But you know what? I'm okay with it because I put all my love and trust in Jesus. You see, we all have that choice to try to run back to Egypt to take control of our own lives or to keep following where he leads. It's confusing. It seems crazy. And it's hard at times. But God loves you and he's working out a bigger plan so you and I can trust him Jim's story is still being written and so is yours. At the end, will your story show that you followed him even if it's in 40 years in the wilderness like Israel because you trusted and allowed God to do his work in and through your life? That's what I want for my life. I hope you do too. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this passage. I thank you that you're a God who loves to lead us. And Lord, we confess that we struggle with your leadership sometimes. It doesn't make sense to us. It's confusing. It's 
seems crazy at times, and, and sometimes we just don't want to do it. But Lord, I pray that you would help us be shaped into a people, a community that follows you more fully, individually and as a group. That we would hear your voice through the prompting of your spirit and walk in the way that you lead. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.